The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series created by Mercedes Lackey and Steve Libby, presenting Book Two, The Hunt. Headhunters, Part One, written by Dennis Lee with Mercedes Lackey, read by Veronica Jaguer. In a lone cell deep within the shattered Echo headquarters in Atlanta, Red Genie was coping with his latest crisis. He sat, motionless, and stared at a list of names clutched tightly in his hand. Across from him a hulking figure leaned against the cell wall, his arms crossed, and watching. If only he would twitch a little, would reveal anything. In the short time he had known him, Red had conceded this man, this bulwark, was inscrutable. This worried Red, who had made a career out of reading people. Red went through the list of names again. It wasn't a very long list. Even now, desperate for bodies to fill the void left by the invasion, Echo was only willing to go so far in lowering their standards for meta-powered personnel. Each name had a criminal record of some sort, but mostly misdemeanors and non-violent felonies. During Red's short career in the metahuman underground, he had encountered many such individuals. While he was surprised by how many he had burned his bridges with, he was amazed to be presented with a near-complete listing of their names. Bulwark couldn't have concocted this list from Red's records. If he had, Echo would have had enough to put Red away for the duration. Instead, Echo had offered him a job, a contract, to help them recruit new metas. If they knew all the details of Red's life as a mercenary, they wouldn't have done this. They wouldn't have been able to trust him. The list, as far as Red could see, was a compilation of people that he had completely screwed over. Criminals, all of them. And now he was charged with finding them, approaching them, and convincing them to be law-abiding supercops. He was convinced. There was a god. A god who watched, pulled his little strings, and laughed at his puppets with a keen sense of humor. At long last, Red looked up. His face, though cloaked by his signature scarf, couldn't hide his resignation. He squinted up at Bulwark in disbelief. You don't approve? Bulwark rumbled. You have got to be kidding, Red snorted. How did you come up with this lot? From what was left of our data banks. These were the names flagged with the potential for rehabilitation. Red pointed at one name. This guy's an arsonist. He picked his targets carefully, Bulwark countered. He's never actually harmed anyone. His psych profile suggests therapy may help. All right, then. Red tapped three more names. Kleptomaniac, extreme bipolar wacky fun time, and this one has spastic panic attacks at the sight of her own super slobber. We don't discriminate on account of mental disorders. We can help these people just as much as they can help us. 
You say that now. I wonder if you would feel the same after being on the receiving end of anxiety-induced 100-mile-per-hour projectile vomit. I imagine I would, Bulwark replied. I'll just stand behind you. Red paused, and then chuckled. Funny. When did you develop a sense of humor? Bulwark shrugged. I noticed you quell your opponent's arguments with levity. I surmised the same tactics might work on you. Typical, Red muttered, shaking his head. Leave it to you to find the cold, calculating side of comedy. You will find them, Bulwark asked. It wasn't really a question. I said I would. Red's eyes fell back to the list. I just don't know where to start. Go by the numbers, Bulwark suggested. By location. Who might we attempt to approach in one trip? Who might be the most amenable in joining an organization like Echo? Which are the most likely to earn our trust? Earn your trust? Red said. I hope that's not your opening line. Unfortunately, it is. We can't afford to get careless here. Oh, and speaking of... Bulwark stepped forward and shackled Red's wrist with a stout metallic bracelet. The hell? With a soft click, the metal began to hum as tiny red and green LEDs flashed into existence across the inflexible band. After a moment, the humming and light subsided. The bracelet, however, was locked tight around Red's forearm. Nothing to worry about, Bulwark said, gauging the anger that flashed from Red's eyes. It's just a tracer. Standard issue when we're transporting felons. It'll give us a lock on your position, in the unfortunate case that we get separated. Red took a few calming breaths. I suppose this means you're coming with me. Bulwark nodded. I am, and a few of my trainees. I figure this sort of field exercise would be of use to them. And you don't think that having a small army of Echo Ops descending on your quarry just might make them a wee bit skittish? Oh, we're hardly an army. Just a training master, a few rookies, and one of their own. You. I think we'll be just fine. Red held up his arm. And this? What if I don't care for this arrangement? Bulwark spread his hands in a mock gesture of helplessness. Then we're at an impasse. The tracer is... Not negotiable. It's been hardwired with fairly stiff countermeasures. The casing is self-enclosed, so you can't pick this lock. If tampered with, 
the tracer will inject you with enough GBH to drop you instantly and send out an immediate location beacon. Now, if you want to renege on our agreement, you can stay in this cell until we get around to bringing you up on whatever charges we find. Bulwark held up a hand, halting Red's retort. Yes, yes, I know. We can only hold you so long on charges. But I just had the most informative chat with some of our detectives. As you know, we don't have much at the moment, but I'm sure we can pin something on you, given enough time. And wouldn't you know it, we have a state of emergency on our hands. This has given us license for a certain laxity and holding procedure. Who knows? This might drag on for years. What do you think are the odds of finding some damning piece of evidence on you? Stumbling across some willing witness if we applied enough pressure. Bulwark didn't wait for an answer. He turned and opened the door to Red's cell. We're taking no chances. And you are no exception. So where do you think we should start? I can have a transport prepped and waiting within the hour. Red glared at him, and gave the list one last look. Bulwark watched him sag, and knew he had won. Detroit, Red growled. We're going to Detroit. Descending from an altitude of 18,000 feet, Echo Transport 72 entered Michigan airspace after enjoying a turbulence-free flight with sunny skies. The carrier, resembling more a pregnant whale than the sleek, swift jets used by Echo's rescue crews, was one of dozens brought out of retirement to fly the daily allotment sorties spanning the continent. The invasion had crippled Echo in some cities more than others, and the quartermasters had been working feverishly to reallocate their remaining resources. Transport 72 was filled to capacity, a testament to the heavy losses experienced by the Motor City. Loaded with supplies, weapons, and a handful of armored vehicles, the flight manifest would not normally have allowed for passengers. Bulwark had pulled a few strings. The Detroit branch office would have to do with one less tank, at least for a day. Huddled together between crates of burst rifles and ammunition, three Echo trainees lounged on makeshift seats. Scope, the oldest and most seasoned of Bulwark's apprentices, had remained silent for the bulk of the trip. She seemed content in repetitive cycles of dismantling and assembling her new sidearms, checking and rechecking that the parts were well-oiled and calibrated. To her left was the picture of tranquility. Harmony, a statuesque girl with long, flowing blonde hair, sat in lotus position with a thin smile tugging at her lips. To Scope's right, the young boy known as Acrobat continued to rock back and forth, his arms wrapped around his knees. For the entire flight he had not stopped talking, and only about one thing. "'Can't believe it!' he whispered, again. "'Wow! Can't believe it! Red Genie! It's Red Genie! We're working with Red Genie!' On the other side of the cargo hold, Bulwark sat sifting through a stack of reports. 
Behind him, Red sat with his legs crossed, his back to them all, staring intently into a mirror. Check him out, Acrobat continued. Guy's a rock. He hasn't moved in an hour. With a grunt, Scope put down her assembled pistol, reached over, and smacked Acrobat across the head. He yelped in surprise. Not going to tell you again, Bruno. Knock it off. Acrobat rubbed his head and shot her a hurt look. She didn't notice. I'm sick of hearing your fanboy crap, she muttered, and appraised Red with a glance. Besides, he doesn't look like much to me. He can change his face, so what? Don't know what Bull expects us to learn from this guy. Stupid power like that. He's gotta have something else, Acrobat insisted. I hear he's the guy that infiltrated the Goldman catacombs. They say he, like, teleported in or something. How else could he have gotten past the motion sensors? And remember those hits on Horatio and Crackdown? Word is the genie did him solo. They were found together, both decapitated. Clean cuts to right through their reinforced neck harnesses. Dude must be hiding some major muscle. Scope answered with another smack to the acrobat's head. Scope. Bulwark barked across the cargo hold. He better have deserved that. Yes, sir, Scope answered, coming to attention. He did, sir. Very good, Bulwark replied, looking back to his reports. As you were. Scope sat down and turned to Acrobat. First, the Goldman catacombs were never infiltrated. That was a hoax. Second, Horatio and Crackdown were taken out by the Blood Brothers. Everyone knows that. Third, you're an idiot. I liked you better when you were too shy to take a dump without permission, much less shooting your mouth off every ten seconds with the latest from the Geek Report and iPoneHotGirls.com. Acrobat turned red and pouted in petulant anger. I'm not a geek. Sure you are. I'm not. I'm a superhero. I rest my case, Scope replied, and resumed inspecting her pistols. At last, Harmony chimed in, her voice gentle and soothing. Scope, will you please put those guns away? They're making ripples in my peace pool. Never. Scope replied, touching the cold metal and fiber grips with reverence. State of emergency, girls. I finally get to carry a real piece. Thank God for the invasion. She paused, and then muttered a low curse. In her excitement, her voice had carried a little too far. She caught Bulwark's gaze over his papers. Red Genie, who had finished altering his face, had turned around. They both shared the same pained look. Scope stood up, her mouth open, trapped in the awkward tension. She didn't have the words. She was saved by static as the transport speakers blared to life. Oh, we're about to sit down in Detroit, folks. Best get up here and strap yourselves in. Bulwark gathered his files and marched away. Scope ran to catch up with him, tripping over herself in apology. 
Sir? Sir? Hey, Bull, wait. Harmony, her expression now marked with sadness, gathered up her yoga mat and followed at a respectful distance. Bringing up the rear, Red walked alongside Acrobat, who seemed simultaneously apprehensive and giddy by Red's proximity. Hey, kid. Acrobat felt a star-struck jolt of terror. Remind me later to tell you how I cut through those net guards. As Red steered the old rusted ford into the alley, he dimmed the lights and eased the old boat to a halt. The car was an obvious choice. It blended in with the surroundings. He had chosen an appropriately worn face and threadbare work clothes to complete the illusion that he was just another blue-collar worker. He was pleased to note that Bulwark had followed his lead, looking very much like a foreman in need of a stiff belt after a hard day on the job site. His trainees, on the other hand, entertained transparently romantic notions of undercover attire. So, what's our story here, Bull? Red asked as they piled out of the car. You and I are up for a drink or two, perhaps to discuss our in-depth knowledge of struts and conduits, and we brought our three contract killers along to coordinate our part-time gigs enforcers. Nice trenchy acrobat, Bulwark said, ignoring Jeannie. Cool, huh? Acrobat grinned. It's all long and black and stuff. You all look like rejects from the Matrix, Red muttered. Screw it. Not much we can do about it. There's no way to make this lot look like it'll fit in here anyway. Why raise such a fuss about it then? Bulwark asked. It's the principle of it. When you do a job half-assed with more people than you need, things will get messy. Bulwark responded with a level gaze. That had sounded like a promise. Red led them along the alley, whispering instructions. All right, we get in, sit down, and wait for Vivian to come talk to us. Bull should do the talking. Neo, Trinity, and Switch here will shut up and watch. You're here to learn, not mess up the negotiation. Acrobat sighed, looking bashful and guilty. Scope's eyes widened, and she started to retort in anger, but was interrupted by Harmony. Who is Vivian, and how do you know she'll approach us? She's our first mark, and she can lead us to the others. She also owns this place. You're looking at one of the last true speakeasies with a long, bloody history that trails back to Prohibition. This place is bullets embedded in the walls from the Purple Gang, the Chambers Brothers, and was almost total during the 12th Street Riot. These days, it's a hideaway for vagrant metas. I suppose it's safe to say that cops aren't really welcome here. Harmony looked confused. So, why will she come over to us? Because everything about this group screams cops. Even you? Bull asked. We'll see, Red answered evasively. It might help if they didn't see me shackled like this.
he held up his arm and gave Bulwark a pointed look. Bull merely shrugged and motioned Red onwards. Jeannie led them through a dark entrance and up a long, narrow flight of stairs. They emerged in a smoke-filled tavern dimly lit by hanging oil lanterns. As they took seats around an old wooden table, they noticed a few of the patrons fishing bills out of their pockets, dropping them by their unfinished beer steins, and quietly exiting through the back. The bartender, an attractive black woman with short, cropped hair, sighed and strolled over to their table. "'What can I get you?' she asked, her eyes cold and uncaring. "'A round of whatever you have on tap,' Bull replied. "'Coming up. That'll be three hundred dollars.' "'Beg pardon?' Bull asked, pausing as he reached into his wallet. "'For this month's protection,' she replied. You can tell Alistair I'm to getting tired of him crapping all over the agreement. He should know better. Donovan might be pricier, but he didn't make captain for nothing. He knows the rules, and he'd stick to the terms. He wouldn't be sending his flunkies into my bar to chase off my customers like this. I think there's been an understand. I think there's been a misunderstanding. Bull said, You're Vivian Wilde, correct? How do you know that name? Vivian demanded. Bull reached into his wallet and slapped some bills down on the table. Five hundred. Provided you have a seat and talk to us. We're not who you think. Vivian's eyes narrowed. Guess not. You might not be Alistair's, but you are cops, and I really don't like cops who know my full name. Her eyes fell on red. And you must have balls of steel to get anywhere near me again. Red chuckled. You know, Viv, someday I'm going to figure out how you always know it's me. Good luck with that, you backstabbing piece of crap, Vivian replied. You're all about bad habits, Red. I know you too well. Even you can't hide them all. Please, Miss Vivian, Bulwark said, pulling a badge out of his jacket and laying it face up on the table. We only wish some of your time. How much time is entirely up to you. Vivian stared at the Echo Insignia and pulled Red towards her by the neck. Ow! Red winced as she dug her nails into his flesh. Echo? You told Echo where I was and brought their dogs into my bar? This is low, even for you. I sense you're angry, Red noted blandly. This isn't angry. You've seen me angry. Her nails dug in harder. This is irritated. She spun and caught Red with a solid right hook, which got him to his feet and staggering. That was annoyed. 
She finished with a strong kick to his groin, and Red landed in a groaning heap on the floor. And that, well, that was just fun. Scope nodded in appreciation. I don't know about the rest of you, but I kind of want to see her angry now. No, Red gasped, clutching his genitals. No, you really don't. Please, Miss Vivian, Bull repeated, motioning to Red's vacant chair. Please sit with us. We just... I'm retired, Vivian said. I don't pull jobs in anymore. There's no peace in it. She turned to Bulwark, and her features softened and sagged in weariness. I'm not a danger to anyone. Not anymore. I'm just trying to have a life here, man. Can't you people respect that? Can't you just leave me be? In a sane world, we could. We did, Bulwark said. But we don't live in that world anymore. Vivian stood her ground for a moment and eyed the crisp bills Bill had laid on the table. She reached out slowly, like putting her fingers into a fire, and took them. She tucked them gently into her shirt and took a seat. You've got five minutes, she warned him. Bulwark nodded and began his pitch. He told her of Echo's need for personnel, of the terrible deficit left by the invasion day and the lengths they were willing to go to. Full pardons for a select few, their past wiped clean upon successful completion of a five-year service contract. He watched her carefully, gauging the effect his words had on her. There was guilt there, and remorse. Her records were rife with the sort of intrigue and violence common to those who chose the dodgy vocation of a cat burglar. On paper, Vivian was just another calculated risk, perhaps even more of a risk than Red Genie. But Bulwark wasn't the sort to give up on people, based on cold, hard facts. He had researched his potential recruits extensively, and had flagged those he needed to meet. You could only read so much from a dossier. Vivian Wilde had been a victim for most of her life, and Bulwark needed to size up what strength she had left. He glanced over to Red, who had crawled over to the nearest wall and was trying with difficulty to get up. She was still a fighter, it seemed, with a heavy kick. There came a long and uncomfortable silence as Vivian considered Bulk's words. Finally, she shook her head. You don't want me, she said. No matter how desperate you say you are, you need people who are ready to go, and right now. I still... You still have control issues, Bulwark offered. Yes. She held up her hand. Small bolts of electricity flashed between the digits. Acrobat gave a surprised yelp and teetered on his chair. Scope's hands went to her guns, but then relaxed. Harmony leaned forward and stared at Vivian's hand in fascination. 
Bulwark didn't react at all. That's about as much as I dare to do, Vivian admitted, closing her hand. Great for popping doors, overriding circuits, messing up pretty much anything with a current. Anything more, and I risk overload. We can help you with that, Bulwark said. We have the best trainers. I don't care. I never wanted this, you know? I've learned to live with it, and I'm in a place now where I never have to use it. Don't you realize this is for the best? Scope snorted her disgust. That's it? This is who we came for? Some pathetic mouse who's got some punch and won't use it? You don't know what you're talking about, Vivian said quietly. Like hell I don't. Your grand scheme is to curl up in a ball and hide until you die. Vivian nodded. That was the plan. We're offering you a place to help those you care about. In time, we can arrange a placement here in your own city to help protect your own. Perhaps even alongside those you've come to trust. He reached into his jacket, produced a small card, and laid it in front of her. Vivian hesitated, but her curiosity got the better of her. She glanced over the list of names. You want the spitter? We want help, Bulwark said. We want your help. You're not just talking about me, Vivian said, her eyes now very bright. She flung the card away and stood up. You want me to lead you to the others? Well, you can forget it. She turned on red. How could you do this? Again? Wasn't last time enough? You took her away. She was the one thing, the only thing that mattered. And you? You? Red felt her hands on him, her fists and incoherent sobs beating into his chest. He didn't fight her off. He came to his feet, all pretense of his pain gone, and his hands held deliberately high. The locals sat in shock as Vivian, whose icy stare and detached demeanor had become local legend, screamed her rage and lashed out in wild blows. Red stood and merely watched her pound into him. He was watching her. No, Bulwark thought with alarm. He's gauging her. Genie! Bulwark shouted, rising from his seat. But he was too late. Red had let Vivian's tantrum rise to a fevered pitch. He caught her arm tightly and squeezed. Vivian's cries stopped with a startled yelp of pain. Red delivered a smart slap across her face and leaned in with a smirk. She thought you wanted her to go. She thought her mommy didn't love her anymore. 
Vivian came to a stop, and Red watched as her emotions played themselves out. Shock, then anguish, and then there was just hate. She broke free of Red's grip, her fingers darting for his eyes. You worthless piece of... She faltered, and her hand stopped in mid-swing. Vivian staggered back, her mouth agape in a quiet scream of horror. She began to glow, and her light coalesced into crackling threads of electricity. She grasped at empty air, struggling for control, but her aura only intensified. Brighter and brighter, the lights arced and danced about her, swarming away and back to her shaking hands. She doubled over, trying to contain the pulsing waves of energy, but she had reached critical mass. With a scream, her limbs flew outward, and the waves fled from her with a deafening crack. The EMP tore through the room, and out. Breaking news in the local channels reported a freak electrical disturbance on Detroit's south side, stunning locals, and knocking out all electrical equipment for nine city blocks. It took a few minutes for Bulwark to wake up, clawing back to consciousness and shuddering to clear his mind. He picked himself up and surveyed the room. Most of the bar's patrons were still knocked out, though a groggy few, including his team, were beginning to stir. I feel terrible, Harmony groaned. Breathe, Harmony, Bull said propping her to a sitting position. Let your mind clear a bit. Uh, Bull? Acrobat whispered. He jerked a thumb towards the bar. What about... Bulwark glanced over at the patrons. Most of them were groggy, but a few had murder in their eyes. Miss Ward? I believe your friends will need some assurance that we mean you no harm. No one answered. Miss Ward? Bull's eyes darted everywhere, but to no avail. Oh, great. Vivian and Red Genie were gone. All that remained was a ruined tracer bracelet, abandoned and lifeless on the hardwood floor.